Welcome to Parker's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern style worship and an on-time message from God's Word by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message by guest speaker, Dr. Roger Wilmore. Good morning, everyone. It's a joy to be back at Parker Memorial today to have this opportunity to share God's Word with you. And I want to say a word of appreciation to Brother Mac for uh, allowing me to be in his pulpits today. And I was a pastor for a long time, and I understand something of the significance of turning your pulpit over to someone else. So I thank him for this privilege. Brother Mac brings a lot to the leadership of our association. He serves on our advisory team and is a tremendous help to the work of the Calhoun Baptist Association. For those of you that did not know that he was involved at that in that way, and so I'm thankful to him for his leadership there and to you as a church for your support. Brother Kevin, I enjoyed the uh, worship time, the praise team, and, and I, let's just give them a hand. I tell you, that, that, um, the, time that, the time that we had in worship was a, a, a preparation to my heart for preaching, especially that middle song, Great I Am. I, I, I was wanting to get to the pulpit right away after that one. So it's good to see you. The text comes from Romans chapter 6 and verse 13. There are four words that I will pull from that verse. But as you're finding it on your um, device or in your Bible, uh, I hear the clicks or the rustling of the pages. But here we go to Romans 6 and verse 13. I want to just say as a, as a way of uh, laying groundwork that uh, verse 13 is in the middle of the chapter and the entire chapter really uh, lends itself strongly to the support of everything in this verse that we're going to be looking at, uh, verse 13. I'll read the verse and tell you the words that I'm choosing out of the verse that serve as a foundation in just a moment. But I wonder if uh, some of you may be where I was in the early stages of my Christian life. I did not become a Christian until I was 15. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but God um, did provide uh, those who would witness to me and share with me, and, and then I did come to faith in Christ at age 15. But for the next two years, from age 15 to age 17, I found myself hearing a lot about what I should do and uh, what I should be as a Christian. The things that I should do and shouldn't do. That seemed to be a strong emphasis. Do this and don't do this. And be this and don't be that. And, and that, that was what I was hearing for those first two years. And, and I, I know this was an innocent thing. It still happens today. It's not intentional on the part of any Christian leader, pastor, teacher, whoever it may be. But it still happens today that we tend to emphasize the Christian life in those terms, do this and don't do this, be this and don't be that. And we stop short of telling people how to do what we're telling them to do and how not to do what they shouldn't do and how to be what the Word says to be and how to not be what it says we shouldn't be. And that's where I was. And when I was introduced to the teaching and the preaching, when I finally came into an environment that was emphasizing the principles of the Christian life, not only did I understand a little bit better what I shouldn't do and what I should do, but how to do it and how not to do it. 
I think too often we as Christians try to live the Christian life in our own strength, in our own ability. We pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. And we understand the principle. We understand the teaching of the Christian life. We read our Bible and we hear the sermons. But we struggle with the wherewithal of how to do that, how to be. Uh, One of the most overwhelming verses in all of the scriptures is that one that says, Be ye holy, even as I am holy. Well, the first question that comes to my mind is, How on earth can any human being do that? Be holy as God is holy. But yet the word of God does tell us. It does tell us. So I wonder if you may fit into that category that you understand a lot of things about what you should do and shouldn't do, but you're not really sure the wherewithal, the how. Well, right in the middle of chapter 6 of Romans, and I would encourage you, if you've never read the book of Romans, read the book of Romans. If you've never read chapter 6, read chapter 6. Chapter 6, 7, and 8 of Romans contains uh, a commentary on everything I'm going to try to say in a few minutes, and it's said much better by the Apostle Paul. Verse 13, Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves... To God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Now I've just read from the New King James Version and I know other translations may go at this a little differently. But the four words that we're looking at from verse 13 are these. And these words hold the key to the things that I've been talking about in the last two or three minutes. Present yourself to God. That word present is the same word for surrender. It is the same word for yield. It is the same word for offer. Uh, Some of you may have the NIV translation. It uses the word offer, O-F-F-E-R. Most translations use the word present. Some translations use the word surrender. Present yourselves to God. This is a calling for full surrender. That's the title of this morning's sermon. Full surrender. Present yourself. Surrender yourself. Offer yourself. Yield yourself to God. So if there's a question in your mind about the demands that Christ puts upon your life to be the Christian that he requires us to be because he did save us in order that he might make us into his ambassador, his representative, that we might bear his image, that we might be like him in a world that's very unlike him. How do we do that? We present ourselves to God. We surrender ourselves fully, completely, totally to him. Now, we Baptists, and I've been one a long time. Many of you have been a Baptist a long time, Southern Baptist a long time. And especially we Southern Baptists, we understand the teaching of commitment How many times have I I strongly urged the people I was pastoring and leading, commit yourself to God. Commit to this and commit to that, but commit to God. And I think we've got the word commitment down pretty good. but, But commitment and surrender are very different terms. You can be committed without being surrendered. You think that's impossible, but it isn't. You can have a a commitment to things, aspects of the life, without being surrendered to God. Next time you have bacon and eggs at breakfast, I want you to see an object lesson sitting right before you on that plate. You have an object lesson of surrender. You have an object lesson of commitment. 
When you look at that egg, you're looking at a commitment. Didn't cost that chicken its life. It just cost a commitment. Just give me the egg. So we have the egg. But when you look at that piece of bacon, you're looking at something that made full surrender. Full surrender. It cost everything. And I want you to think about that. That's going to be one of those brain worms that will just work its way in there. And you can think about it. That's what the preacher said right there. Am I, fully sur- am I just making a commitment or am I fully surrendered to God? This surrender is required. If you're looking for a life of meaning and fulfillment and contentment, uh, Christ requires us to live a life that would bring honor and glory to him that we might bear his image in a world, as I said a moment ago, that does not bear his image. We must be the contrast to the things going on around us today, and we cannot do that unless we're fully surrendered to God. Present yourselves to God. For the next few moments, I want to pull three main truths out of this passage and hopefully give you some things to think about and to apply to your own life. The first main point of this message is this. Our surrender to God is very important. It's important that we understand this matter of surrender. It's important that we become surrendered. Why? Number one, a surrendered life is the only life that is acceptable to God. So anybody that's pushing back on me today and saying, I don't really go that far with it, you're emphasizing maybe too much, too strongly, too firmly, this matter of a surrendered life. But no, I could never push that, that teaching, that word, that thought, that belief too much because it is the only life that is acceptable to God, the life that is fully surrendered Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, that no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and possessions. You cannot. Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, brooks no rivals. He is not one number on a list of others. He is the only one, and he wants to place that place in our lives. A surrendered life is the only life that is acceptable to God. And some of the, some of the issues that you and I experience and, 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 and the struggles in our spiritual life, in our walk with Christ, is right in this area that we're holding back something. We're holding on to something. He does not have all of us. And it creates this tension in us, this uncomfortableness in us, this guilt in us. And we live with a measure of it. And we understand, we know that there's something there that shouldn't be there, but we will not surrender it. So we can be a committed person without being a surrendered person. Jesus Christ is, was the living, breathing example of all of the Christian life. But I think in an exceptional way in this area of surrender, all of his life, He walked in this idea of surrender to God. He was surrendered to his father. He said, I say nothing apart from my father's direction. I do nothing apart from my father's direction. But when it came to the Garden of Gethsemane, just moments before he was to be crucified, just hours before his crucifixion, he was pleading with his father, knowing that he'd come, as we were singing a moment ago, coming, he came to live, to die, 
to go to the cross, to pay the debt for you and for me. For the first time, he knew for the first time in all eternity upon that cross, he would experience a literal separation from his father. That was the dread of his heart. He wasn't afraid of death, but he knew that something would happen as he hung upon that cross with the sins of the world being placed upon him, that his father would have to turn his back on him, not because he was a sinner, but because the sins of the world was upon him, and God cannot look upon sin. And Jesus said, if there's any other way that this can be accomplished, any other way, as he prayed with the sweat of his brow, pouring his drops of blood, if there's any other way. The Bible tells us he could have called legions of angels to come in that moment to deliver him and to take him back home. But do you know what he did? He said, not my will, but your will be done. Full and absolute surrender. Number two, the reason this is so important is that a surrendered life is the only way to a contented and fulfilled life. And I touched on this a moment ago, but I just wanted to ask again, are you a contented Christian? Are you a happy Christian? Are you a joyful Christian? Are you a smiling Christian? Do you enjoy being a Christian? I saw some joy this morning. I heard some joy this morning. I've witnessed joy across this room in the hearts of many But if you are not fully surrendered, if he doesn't have everything, there's always that peace inside of you that's gnawing at you, eating at your contentment, eating at your joy, eating at your sense of fulfillment, because you know. St. Augustine was a reprobate. He became a Christian. He became one of the early church fathers. He was a remarkable Christian. It was Augustine who said My soul finds no rest until it finds its rest in thee, O God. Augustine was a reprobate when when he came to faith in Christ. His mother prayed him into salvation. And the story is told that on an occasion, Augustine was seen by a group of his friends walking down the street. And uh, they began to cry out to him, Augustine, Augustine. The friend said, Augustine, it is I. Augustine kept walking because he knew that association with that person could pull him back. And he kept walking. The friend said, Augustine, it is I. And Augustine kept walking. And the friend again, Augustine, it is I. And Augustine stopped and turned around and looked at the man. And he says, but it is not I. It is not I. I'm a new man. I'm a new creation in Christ is what he was saying. I'm not the man you think I am any longer. Isn't that wonderful? Shouldn't the world look at us and see the same thing? And the apostle James said about this struggle that we have inside. He said this in in, uh, uh, the epistle of James chapter 4 and verse 1. He says, where do wars and battles come from among you? Do they not come from your desires and pleasures that war within you? James knew something about that inner battle, that battle that takes place within the human soul. You say, how do I win that battle? Surrender. Surrender to him. This might be one of the only times that we could actually say that raising the white flag is the most admirable thing to do. But surrender. A few weeks ago, right here for a group of this congregation, we had a Bible study on the pictures of the Christian in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and the very first one is a soldier 
And Timothy says that a soldier does not entangle himself with the things of this life. He does not live a double life. He is committed to his commander-in-chief. And he wants to please him above all. I wonder if that's your heart's desire this morning. But there's a third reason this surrender is important. And it's a very important third reason. A surrendered life is the only life that God can use. Do you want to be used by the Lord today? Do you say, I want to be among those who are useful servants in the hands of God? A surrendered life is required. A surrendered life. It's important. It, why is it important to be surrendered? We've given three reasons. Second point, main point. What does it mean to be surrendered? What does it mean? This, this in many ways to me is the most important part of this message because it's going to get down to where you and I live. I'm going to ask a question in just a moment that hopefully will be helpful. And if it's not helpful this morning, I pray that you'll be a bit uncomfortable until you do get uh, to the answer, to the right answer to that question. But the point is that there is a meaning to this surrender. Some people this morning, there may be someone in this uh, audience, this congregation that's not a Christian. And, and your first call to surrender is the call to salvation. Come to receive Jesus as your Savior. Now what I'm saying and what I'm about to say, I'm even reluctant to do because it seems that I'm creating a dichotomy between salvation and sanctification. There should not be. There should be a miraculous work of salvation, a miraculous work of sanctification. The word means to set apart, to make holy. But oftentimes, and if I were to ask you to raise your hands this morning, the vast majority would answer the question, it came later. The question would be, do you feel that you understood what it meant to be sanctified or to be involved in the process of sanctification? Sanctification means to be set apart. Set apart by God. Set apart for a specific purpose. That specific purpose is to be like Christ and to reflect Him in this very unchristlike world. Many times Christians are saved for a long time before they ever really understand that sanctification is a part of the Christian life. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. I have a, an insurance policy against hell. I'm saved. But nobody has ever told you that there's another component to the Christian life and it's sanctification set apart. And that so often comes later, but it shouldn't come later. Now here's the story I want to tell you to illustrate this and it's, it's a story that I hope will linger a long time in your mind. Uh, years ago in the uh, late 1800s in a great uh, Christian life convention in England, two of England's greatest uh, men of God were uh, there at the same time. A man by the name of F.B. Meyer, who was a Baptist preacher and one of the most noted Baptist preachers of his time. He was known as a silver-tongued orator. It is said that he could move a congregation with his ability to speak, uh, whether it's a church congregation or a political gathering. He had the power of speech. They called him the silver-tongued Orator. He was a good man, a godly man. It wasn't just in his own ability that he did these things. He was a very devout Christian. But there was a second man by the name of C.T. Studd. And if you've never read of C.T. Studd, I would encourage you to look up some biography on Studd's life. 
C.T. Studd is the one who coined the words and penned the words that I've quoted so many times over the years. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. It is C.T. Studd who coined the words, penned the words. Uh, Some people want to live within the sound of church and chapel bells. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. C.T. Studd. C.T. Studd was a cricket player in England. He was, they say, uh, the Babe Ruth of England. Our Babe Ruth baseball, their Babe Ruth cricket. He was born into an aristocratic family, a very wealthy family. I've seen pictures of the estate of the C.T. Studd's family estate. When he became a young man, he chose to follow the will and way and the purpose of God for his life. He took what his family gave him as his inheritance and invested it in missions. C.T. Studd felt a call to missions as a young man. He walked away from fame as an athlete, walked away from wealth in his, from his aristocratic family and inheritance. C.T. Studd went to Africa for 20 years. His health broke while he was there. And he came back to England just to get his health back and to get, uh, get back on his feet and to restore his health. When his health returned, when he was able, he went, he didn't go back to Africa, he went to China. And he spent 20 years in China till his health deteriorated to the point that he had to return to England for a restoration. His health returned. He didn't go back to China, he went to India. Spent 20 years of his life in India, 60 years on the mission field. I don't know about you, but I'm going to listen to what a man like that says. F.B. Meyer observed C.T. Studd, and in a conversation he said, Studd, you have something I don't have. He said, there's something about your life that, that I long to have in my life. How did you get to this level of Christianity? How did you acquire this extraordinary Christ-like life that I see in you. And C.T. Studd says the answer is simple. There came a time in my life that I surrendered every key of every room of my life. I surrendered to Christ every key to every room of my life. And he said to Meyer, if you want to to enter another level of life in Christ. If you want to be all he wants you to be, you've got to give him every key to every room. Meyer went back to his room, and he wrestled with that challenge through the night, agonized. And he came to be very conscious of the fact that he had a tight grip on one key. He would not surrender. And he wrestled and he wrestled like Jacob at Jabbok until God won. And he surrendered the last key to the last room in his life. When he saw Stud uh, the next day, uh, C.T. Stud said, well, how are you doing? He said, I've yielded every key. He said, I yielded the one key I was holding. C.T. Stud said, if you don't mind, would you tell me what room it was? And Meyer said, I don't mind telling you at all. It, was my ability, it is my ability to preach and to move a crowd, to move an audience, to persuade an audience. 
And he said, I didn't know it, but I had a fear inside that if I turned that over to someone else's control, I would lose it. And I didn't want to lose it. And F.B. Meyer said, I gave him the key to the room of my ability as a speaker. Now, that might have surprised you. It surprised me when I heard that part of the story. You might have been expecting some dark hidden sin or something. But you see, a good thing in the wrong place can be a hindrance. Did you know that? Holding on to a good thing that's not the right thing for God. Holding on. And Meyer surrendered that key. Some of you this morning may have one key. You may have a lot of keys. You may have a lot of keys to a lot of rooms. That's between you and God. But whatever key it is that you're holding back, that key to that room of your life, because he requires all of us, there's no such thing as partial surrender, partial commitment. He requires all of us. Because if you're holding back one part, Zwimmer, that great missionary, uh, missiologist, teacher of missions, said, and this is a hard saying, but he said, Jesus Christ is Lord of all, or he is not Lord at all. You cannot say no to one part and still be under the Lordship of Christ. In the next three or four minutes, I'm cl- concluding this sermon, and I'm going to tell you six areas that, include, that should be included in your surrender. Now, don't get nervous. I'm not going to amplify these. I'm just going to walk through them. But you say, what, do I, what does this surrender include? What does it include? Present yourselves to God. Now, some of you are jotting some things down. I can see you, and I appreciate that. But um, all of us need to at least try to remember these. And I know we have maybe recordings that you can go back if that was your desire. But there are six areas that need to be surrendered. The man who mentored me made a statement. His name is Stephen Oford. He said, uh, God does not make duplicates. Uh, He only makes originals. Every person in this room is an original. God does not make duplicates. Psalm 139, the psalmist says, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. This surrender is so important because God uses you and me and all of us differently. There are things you can do that I could never do. What I saw and witnessed on this stage today, I could never do. In fact, I got kicked out of youth choir when I was in high school. And that is true. Right before a cantata, the music minister came over. We were lined up in the hallway behind the baptistry. And he said, Roger, could I just say a word before we go out? He said, don't make a sound. Just move your lips. I was devastated. But I I knew he was telling the truth. So I didn't go back to choir after that. So we need to be able to do what God wants us to do. Here they are. Number one, we need to give him our personality. Give him our personality. My, what a, what a mixture of personalities are in this room. What a mixture of personalities in the church of Jesus Christ. People are different. We're all different. That uniqueness that I've already been talking about. Don't miss God's plan. Give him Your personality. God can use your person. How many of you have ever been lit up just by seeing a smile on a brilliant Christian's face? A bright smile. 
Just a look, just a touch, just a word. And then you get into the gifting and it goes to even other levels. But number two, we must surrender our bodies. And chapter 6 of Romans talks about that. Do not yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Do not present your bodies as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as instruments of righteousness. He needs our bodies. He needs our eyes. He needs our ears. He needs our hands. He needs our feet. He needs the members of our body. We are his body. And Christ, through the Holy Spirit living within us, takes our bodies, our eyes, our ears, our tongues, our hands, our feet, to do his work on this earth today. He needs your body. Every bit of it. Number three, surrender also involves giving him our family and our friends. And Jesus taught this. He said, you cannot... You, you cannot be bound to family and you cannot be bound to friends in a way that keeps you from doing the will of God. Now, I know this is a hard saying that Jesus gave, but we must understand that he knows how to navigate through those things. And if you're a wife, that you, you, you can never be the best wife until you're fully surrendered to God. If you're a husband, you can never be the best husband until you're fully surrendered to God. God has a plan. He's not, he's not going to abuse you or misuse you or mistreat you. Surrender doesn't put you in a position of losing something. Surrender puts you in a position of gaining something. Surrender involves our time. And it would be embarrassing to most of us to have to confess how we spend our time. While at the same time saying to the church, I don't have time for that. But every other area of life, we've got all the time we want. People do what they want to do. They do what's important to them. They use their time for what's valuable to them. This surrender involves your possessions, your material possessions, your finances, And then lastly, it involves your talents. We saw gifting. Sometimes I like to make a distinction between gifting and talent. And it's good when the two come together. When a gift, when a talent is wrapped up in the gift, it seems to come across so much better. And I saw talent packaged in gifting today. But are you surrendering? This might be one of your keys, your personality, your body, your hands, your feet. Your, it may be your friends and family. It may be your time. It may be your possessions, your talents. I don't know. But are you holding a key? And you're just not quite ready to turn loose of that key. The text says, and it is the answer to the Christian life, if we really mean business with God, we must present ourselves to him, yield ourselves to him, Offer ourselves to Him. Surrender ourselves to Him. Amen. We're going to have a time of response now as we prepare for that. I'm going to pray in just a moment. But let me say to you, in Brother Max's absence, I'm going to step down on the floor. And I know you have other staff here who will be here and available as well. I know we have the prayer benches here nearby, which I have observed in the past and appreciate that that piece of furniture, those pieces of furniture are in this room. You can come and kneel or you can stand, but in so doing you're saying, I am presenting myself to God. 
Some of you may be presenting him a key or keys. But whatever God is prompting you to do, I'm not just a fill-in preacher this morning, though that, that I am. I am an ambassador of Christ with a message for God's people. And the message today is to present yourselves to God. Amen. That concludes this week's message from Dr. Wilmore. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.